Hi everybody, this is Lori Weaver. Welcome to Compulsive Overeating Diary, day 106. It's now been one year, seven weeks, and one day since I began this experiment where I talk about my thoughts and feelings about compulsive overeating rather than heading for the chips. And today we're down at my local park doing another kind of strange hybrid bonus day. I really need to walk and talk out my emotions following the worst binge I've ever had. In fact, well, at least the worst binge I've had since I began this show. In fact, the worst binge I've had in many, many years. It is ironic that when I gave my binge recovery tips on day 103, I hadn't had a binge myself for months. And truthfully, I'd forgotten the hurricane force of this type of binge, my very worst binge behavior. I can't even really call it a visit from the robot aliens, but rather a full-on invasion. <sighs> but you know, it never hurts to gently walk and talk through the emotions. Maybe I'll learn something. And when I'm done walking and pondering, I do have some interesting comment conversations and recordings. We'll welcome new BC's Paula from Facebook and Phoebe who goes on the Bravery Report for saying hello on the Bravery Report. BC's Donnie and Pat prove that BC's are friendly and supportive by welcoming her right away with their comments. Cheryl also sent us her audio answer to Stephanie's question last show about vanity. And I'm pleased as punch that today we have two, count them two, foolish funners. Thanks, Cheryl and Donnie. Then I'll wrap up the show by reading you part of the blog post that keys into my insecurity and I think may be the major player in my binge. After that, I'll feature some of the comments that helped me that day from Cassie, Amy from Wisconsin, and Stephanie from Quebec. Stay tuned while I soak in the very necessary inspirational snippet of I'm Letting Go by Josh Woodward. Then I'll share with you what I'm letting go of today. But you know, BCs, if you're in a really down mood already or feeling low, you might want to skip ahead through this letting go segment because I'm not feeling very good myself and I don't want to get you guys all upset. So maybe it'd be better to wait till another day to listen. Or as I said, usually my letting go takes somewhere between 20 to 30 minutes and you can kind of scrub through and get down to where it's a little bit more cheerful. Anyway, come on, Josh, I really need you. Let's hear you tell me what I need to let go of today. But I'm letting go, I'm letting go. It's a history that never really grows. I'm letting go, I'm letting go. It's a silent wind that never Josh, 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 I had to listen to that one twice today because I am just in such a disappointed mood and I am being so hard on myself. I'm having a very difficult time with the notion of letting anything go. I mean, anything. And before I get into it, I will mention again, since I'm at the park, you might be hearing birds, traffic, dogs, other people walking by noises because right now I'm walking. I need to gently walk. That's one of the things you need to do if you've had a pretty bad binge is to gently move as much as you can and still be comfortable in order to make your digestion move a little bit fa faster. Because BC is one of the things I'm really irritated about right now is the fact that I've definitely got that pig in the python feeling where all of that horrible binge is down in my lower abdomen at the moment, just making me miserable. I feel like Tweedledee or Tweedledum or Humpty Dumpty, right? I feel like my, uh, my waistband and my pants are just super tight and I feel really out of kilter and my balance is off, my emotional balance and my physical balance. So right now I'm <laughs> boo-hoo, I feel so sorry for me mood. Cause honest to God, I had absolutely forgotten, forgotten that I was able or capable of putting myself in this kind of physical misery, <laughs> doing whatever psychological damage I was doing or avoidance or whatever caused this stupid binge, I don't know. But just the physical, misery of a really bad binge is something terrible to experience. 
and you say, okay, well, since you've done this in the past, how come this doesn't like keep you from binging? Well, partially, as we all know, when we're binging, we're not giving one moment's thought to consequences. No, we're not. We only want what we want and we want it now. And that's a relief from something. It's a relief from something that we want. And we really don't care. And I tell you, this binge happened in the evening, day before yesterday. Day before yesterday, right after my singing lesson. <laughs> and oh man, I'm still full from it, still. I hardly ate anything yesterday, not to punish myself, but because I just didn't get hungry, I was that full. Finally, I got a little tiny bit hungry, so I ate a little tiny bit of cream of potato soup, because that is very gentle on your tummy. This morning, knowing that I don't like to go walking on an absolutely empty stomach, I had a banana. So there you go. All I've had in almost 48 hours is a bowl of cream of potato soup, one banana, and I still feel so full as if I ate two Thanksgiving dinners back to back. <sighs> well, that's all very interesting, Lori, and we certainly feel for you, and many of us can even relate to you and what you're going through at the moment. But what are you gonna let go? Hey, how about I let go of binging? Hey. Well, I wish it was that simple, but unfortunately for me, it's not. Hey, yeah, that's it. I'll just give up binging. I won't do it anymore. Now, some people think it is as easy as that. For me, I don't think it is. <laughs> I have made good progress, though, and what I'm giving up today, what I'm letting go of today, is my absolute obsessive need to have an answer for everything immediately, whether it's my own behavior or something somebody needs help with. You know, I'm the one that if you email me, I'll email you right back. You know, I like to get stuff off my to-do list and off my plate and moved on. And I like to have an answer for everything. And I want an answer for everything. You know, when I was little, I used to really drive my mom insane because I was always saying, why? Why is the sky blue? Why is the moon up there? Why does this happen? Why, why, why? Made her crazy <laughs> that I was asking why to everything. I never took anybody's word for anything. I wanted to know the facts and figures, ma'am. Tell me, what is this? What is the reason? In my analytical or obsessive or compulsive or whatever kind of brain I've got, in order to feel happy and comfortable, I need to know why. Okay, so you don't like me, why not? Okay, so you love me, Mark. Why? I need to feel there's proof. I need to feel there's reasons for things. I need to feel there's an order in the world. Well, as we all know, the world is, for the most part, random. You can be a super great, giving, loving person and still have a disaster happen to you, you know? You yourself can suffer injury, death, financial reversals, all kinds of stuff. Like right now, I'm trying to talk to you and the crows are in the tree I'm above, right above me, okay? I didn't do anything to deserve having crows be above the tree, I mean the tree above me. They're just there. It's a random fact that I am passing at this moment under a tree with crows. Life is random. And a great deal of this show, I have been exploring my own motivations and riffing on your motivations and comments and thoughts and things and making a lot of progress at figuring out some of the unanswerable whys of my binging and my compulsion and my need to try to make my body more perfect than it is, to try to fit in a little bit better and why that's so important to me. I've really made good progress. But progress or not, you know, as Alan, hi Alan, I know you may be listening. <laughs> anyway, as Alan says in his show, progress not perfection, 
I'm not perfect. I'm never going to be perfect. And part of my trouble is that I so long to be perfect or to have proof that I'm good, to have proof that I'm better. And here's all of those external motivators, right? Like I'm happiest when I see a new five-star review on iTunes or I see a new like on Facebook or I hear from the BCs, wow, Lori, you're really helping us, okay? That's all external. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel on track. And that's probably why in the past, why going on some kind of diet, whether it was counting points or calories or certain food types, whatever it was, made me feel on track. There was something external outside of myself that I could check off against. Hey, I'm only supposed to eat this many calories and I did, hooray, I'm doing good. I got on the scale and the number went down. Hooray, I'm doing good. But sometimes on the scale, the number went up. Oh, boo, I did bad. And sometimes it went up even if I'd done good. But that external number made me feel like, oh, I'm bad. Okay, externals. Because I never had a sense of who I am from the inside out because I never developed that sense of me saying I'm okay since from a very young age, I never, ever, ever felt okay, ever. Nothing about me felt okay, nothing. I felt odd, I felt fat, I felt weird, I felt like what I did wasn't good enough, I felt like, you know, nobody liked me. I even felt in my own family that I was the least lovable of all family members. I never inside ever felt good enough. Not even good at all, okay? The Lori that was the natural thing, the way she's born, the way she is, whether it's her crazy curiosity the might have meant I was a budding scientist, who knows, or a budding writer or journalist or podcaster. But that burning need to know drove my mother crazy. My super excelling in schoolwork made me bullied all the more when I was very young and made it so when I was older and didn't excel, I couldn't handle it because I had always excelled easily in that venue. That was the one place where I didn't have a lot of problem with schoolwork. And so we'll get a little bit more into that later. But the me that came out of the box, I internalized as bad in every way. Bad. Now, when you feel that you have a deficit, at least I do, when I feel I have a deficit, then I want proof that I'm making progress, or I want proof that I've done well. It's kind of like, you know, women in the workforce, women still get paid way, way less than men, dollar for dollar. And I'll tell you the truth, it's pretty darn tough, even in these days, for a woman to get a promotion that a man might get. It's easier for a man to be part of the old boys club. And I was also born fat or tend to fat. And I was also born kind of odd in my point of view and the way that I expressed myself. So I have all of these attributes that might help me, might hurt me as I go about in life. Oh, wow, I'm really getting down to it. Now, in the last show, I told you the story about the poor lady and my birthday and the absolute rage that I felt. You know, I think Cheryl put it best when she's like, well, Lori, I might not have reacted quite as you did, but that lady was rude. Because reacting how I did was I wanted to kill her emotionally, kill her, you know, berate her, stab her, tell her what's wrong with you. It was patent, patent overreaction. And that overreaction as I discussed at length in therapy, means that I'm getting close to the core origin of my volcano of rage. That's right, the evil volcano of rage that I am so scared of. 
is bubbling under the, my surface into my awareness. And I'm pissed. I am so effing pissed. I am so pissed about it all. Why couldn't I have been a naturally thin kid? Why couldn't I have been like the other kids? Why could I have had a life that was quote unquote normal? Why, why, why? Hear that pity? Why, why, why? Well, why not? I mean, how come I wasn't chosen to get leukemia? How come I wasn't born blind? How come I was born with the ability to walk and some kids weren't? Okay, but in my temper tantrum mind, I don't care about how much blessed I am or how good I've had it or all the great gratitudes that I should be spouting out about. I'm pissed as hell at all the crap I didn't get and all that I went through and I'm mad that I'm 56 years old and still wondering what the hell I'm here for. What good am I? What am I supposed to do? Every fun thing that I do seems to crumble to ashes in my hands. And it's impossible, Brave Companions, for this to be true for every single thing that I do, okay? With every single person, with every single thing I try, how could it be that mysteriously they all crumble to ashes? The only thing that they have in common is me. Me, me. And how I deal with life and how I deal with things and how I deal with my feelings and what I do about it when I feel these things and what I do about it to help myself have a better life and what I do about it or don't do about it or do I eat a ton of food and let myself be miserable for two days rather than dealing with unpleasantness. It's much easier to focus on this terrible, terrible pain in my gut right now than it is to focus on questions like, is voice acting really going to be something that I'm going to pursue? Am I good enough? Do I really want to? What will this do to my marriage? What if Mark wants to go away and travel and I want to stay here closer to the studios because I'm trying to progress? These are all important questions, BCs, but they're hard. There's not a clear-cut answer. You can't know the answer. So what do I do is I stuff myself and focus on that. Well, there was more to this particular binge than that, but I was giving you a little taste of the volcano of rage that I am getting closer to in therapy. So you can see that first thing going on. The second thing going on is in voice acting, I can't remember which show I shared with you, but I know that I did share with you that I got my latest report card about a month ago from Mark Cashman. And in it, basically he says, I improved and my grades did improve, but that I'm not yet ready to go to advanced class or to make my demo. So basically that's saying, you are not commercially viable yet, you need more work. In other words, you're not good enough yet, <laughs> okay? Now, this isn't a huge big surprise, but it kind of just rung that same old bell. I'm not good enough. And so I said, well, no worries. I'll go with David in his class for animation voices and I will work on some of my deficits and become better. You know, I've got a plan. I'll do more work. So I've been doing that, but honestly, I can't see my improvement and the fear is growing. And at the end of this show, I'm going to actually read you a blog post that I wrote about some of the reasons why I think that's true. But I'm starting to become paralyzed, brave companions, absolutely paralyzed with fear. So instead of making progress, I'm forgetting to breathe and I'm kind of like shooting my own foot off. You know, if you believe in the secret or other new age guruisms, you know that it's kind of a belief these days that you attract what you believe. Now, I don't know if I believe in the woohoo mystical side of that, but I do know that what you focus on 
can impact your behavior and your behavior for sure impacts how life goes for you. There, finally made it to the podcast rock and I'm sure that that this will be more comfortable for me to sit here kind of in the back of the park to talk more about these things. But, you know, it felt good with my inner volcano of rage to kind of be stomping around the park saying out loud, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Though I don't know if people passing by appreciated hearing that as much as I enjoyed saying it. But, you know, nobody had to listen to it for very long because I was moving at quite a good clip. And I made a decision for myself that I'm not even going to care I'm going to be just as bad as that poor lady, and I'm going to say whatever I want to say loud enough to be recorded, and I'm just going to let the chips fall where they may, because I was sick as hell of caring what anybody thought or had to say, which I don't recommend every day of the week. I think that would socially kind of like not make it good for you to have very many friends or coworkers or people that want to be in your presence to be going off like a volcano. And maybe, you know... This would have been better done for me to be hiking in the mountain, walking around, screaming my lungs out, since there's less hikers than there are people strolling with their dogs around the park. However, as we said earlier, this pig and the python in my tummy just will not let me hike as yet. That would be too strenuous of an exercise for me. And frankly, I'd be too far from an available ladies' room in case this pig from the python decided to move at all. Now, I know that's probably too much information, but there you go. That's where I'm at today. (laughs) I'm in the I don't give an F mood. Sorry about that, brave companions. I don't mean to spill on you. But that's why I warned you at the get-go to pass all this by if you're feeling tender-hearted or or feeling bad today because I just don't have much of a filter on me as yet. I will do better when I get to the rest of the show. But right now, I'm still really mad about my binge behavior. I mean, I'm mad. It's kind of like... What the hell? You've been going to therapy. You've been feeling your feelings. You've legalized all the food. You don't have these other reasons. And even my singing lesson went well. So why are you binging immediately following a singing lesson while you actually did pretty good? Well, part of that, and I do think the core of it, is my worry about voice acting. But part of that was I shared with Vicki, my singing teacher, my breathing problems and how much trouble I've been having to speak from the diaphragm and how I've been running out of air and how I've been trying to practice this. And Vicki, being the excellent teacher that she is, immediately gave me some exercises to improve my diaphragm breathing, which I find very helpful. And I can see that this is going to build up my diaphragm. All that was good. But then come the whole you need to relax part. Now, you need to relax is at the crux of my voice acting troubles as well. You know, when you're feeling confident, when you feel like, I got this, right? Like, I got this. You don't forget to breathe and you can let your emotions play out. It's like, you know, I'm not worried when I come out to podcast with you, Brave Companions. I don't think to myself, oh, I wonder if I'm going to be able to let it out. Am I going to be able to tell them how I feel? Am I going to be able to speak? I don't worry about that. How many hundred times now have I done this? I go out any day of the week at any time and I can say something. Might not always be the best something, might be annoying something, it might be nonsense something, but I know for a fact that anytime I put on this recorder and I want to talk to you BCs, crows be damned, I can do it. I have no doubts in my mind that I can podcast to you in the format of this show, which is basically me talking all I want about what I feel or responding to comments or things that you do on the Bravery Hotline. You don't hear me run out of air. You don't hear me forget to breathe. I'm not tensed up. My shoulders aren't hunched. I'm just cool as a cucumber, even when I'm mad as hell like now, right? That's because I have confidence. I know it. I know it in my soul. I know it from the top of my head to the tip of my toes. I got this. I can do this. There's no reason for me to worry. Some times are better than other times. Some shows are more compelling than other shows. You know, all of that's true. But the core of it is, I know I'm a good podcaster. I'm good enough. 
I know I got the skills. I know I got the chops. I know I'm not going to run out of things to say. I know that I can articulate well enough for you to understand me. All right? I don't have to worry about that. I might have worried about that in the earlier shows. And mostly I worried because I thought, who in the world, who would even care about the things I'm talking about here? Who wants to hear about, you know, my binge behavior? Who wants to hear about my compulsive eating things? Who wants to hear about that? And technically, you will hear that my voice was a little more tentative. And I was a little more whiny than I am right now. That's because this is show 106. So I've had 105 times prior to prove to myself that I can do this show. So here we are. Podcasting suited my talent, right? I have a talent for talking and talking and talking. And I'm also pretty empathetic, and I have proven over and over and over again in my life that come what may, I'm an excellent encouraging coach. I've always been able to teach people or encourage people. And in fact, one of the things that really pisses me off is I'm able to coach people to success that I myself cannot achieve. I can't tell you how many raises and promotions that people got in my various careers when they come to me for advice on what they should do, what they should highlight in their reviews, all that kind of thing. I'm very, very good at that. And they did. But then I give myself advice and I follow my own advice. And still, obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. And it feels that way always to me. But I know what I know. I can articulate what I feel. I can talk till the cows come home. And I'm a really good encouraging coach. All of that, and I'm technically knowledgeable. All of that means ding, 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 ding. Lori, you got all that it takes to be a podcaster. That's your basic skill set, right? Being able to speak, be understandable, being technically knowledgeable is a bonus. Having something to say. I can talk about what's under compulsive eating all day long because I've thought about it for more than 50 years. I have plenty of topics. And if I run out of topics, I got all of you now to give me topics. So this is a long way of saying why I feel confident in the show. Now, that's not the same thing as being disappointed when you brave companions don't call the bravery hotline or when you don't leave comments or when I don't get new reviews on iTunes. Those are all the external things that I have no control over. You know, I can't go to your house and force you to give me a five-star review on iTunes. I can't force you to comment. I can't force you to buy me cups of coffee to support me with your money. I can't force you to do any of those external things that let me know that you know that you like the show. But whether you like the show or not, technically, I have confidence in my ability to do a show. Now, whether it catches on more and we're going to have a million brave companions someday, whether it catches on so much that, you know, I don't even have to worry about money because there's so much coffee or book sales or subscriptions or some other thing I haven't thought of yet. I don't know. But I know that I have the ability to do the job. Right? I can do that job. I can do it. And the other part is the other part. With voice acting, I don't have that feeling yet. I don't have that feeling like, I got this. I can do this. And some of it you're going to hear in my blog post at the end of the show about my early experiences with acting when I was studying acting and how it bleeds into other parts of my life. But here you go. I have the ability to think through emotion. I have the ability to articulate. I even, if I'm not thinking about it too hard, have the ability have the ability to modify my voice into a different character at times. But I've had enough quote unquote bad for me experience, enough outer experience where, wow, that sucked, that I am terrified. And you know, even if you're great at acting, great at voice acting, great at any of these show business things, singing, any of these things, any of these things, even if you're really, really great, even if you've got this, even if you can do the job, it's still a lot of work and time and chance and luck, and you still get a lot of rejection. And if you aren't 
like professionally capable. And I don't mean that you're the best ever born. I mean professionally capable. You know what I mean? You got the chops. You can go to the studio if you get the job and you can get the job done. Now, whether or not that sells the coffee or whether the animated show is a success or whatever, but you please the director enough, you get the job done. You please the client enough, you get the commercial as they would like it. And you have the professional chops to do that. I do not yet have the professional chops to do that. And that makes me nervous. Because besides all the external measures that I would need, like I'm making money as an actor, or people said I did a good job, or they really like this character. Besides the externals, I don't have that inner confidence that I have got it or that I will ever get it. You know, it kind of hurt me when Mark said I wasn't ready, but it's not because he said it, it's because I knew it was true. And Mark Cashman is who I'm talking about there on my report card. When he said you're not ready, I knew it was true. But I was still like, I just need more training. But as I'm progressing with my training and it's getting harder and harder, instead of me feeling like I'm growing and growing, even though I have, I have developed more skill, but it's like for every one skill I develop, I see like 10 skills that I'm screwing up. And the other people in my class, and it's really death for anybody in show business to compare themselves to others, because you really need to build on what, you, what is unique with you. What are you bringing to the table to make someone want to hire you? But I can't help but notice how I'm really, really behind in skill level because I've gotten good enough to be in a level of class with people who are very good, but I'm at the lowest tier of that kind of class, if that makes sense. And that's my external view and my teaching view. And when I step back and I listen to my performances view, and it might be another two years of study and I will become professionally proficient. It might be six months study and I'll be professionally proficient. It might be another four years of study before I'm professionally proficient enough to make a demo and go after work. And even when you get there, no guarantee you're gonna get work. So what's my goal? So now let's come to Mark, my husband. And he's like, you know, this voice acting costs a lot of money. And he's right, it does. You know, it's not more than we can afford, but me affording voice study means we are not affording other things. All right, now he and I have had conversations about money and what's my portion of the money to do with as I will and what's his portion to do with as he would. But all of these discussions of how much money are you spending? How good are you? What's the outcome? What do you want from this? Took voice acting from being, wow, that might be fun, to, wow, you have to really think this through. Are you wasting your time? Are you wasting our money? Will you ever have the chops to be professionally proficient? Wow, well, I can't know that. All I know is I'm not there yet. But these questions that take my voice acting away from a fun thing to try into this, oh my God, are you good enough, is paralyzing me. So that even when I go to rehearse at home in my pajamas, I'm paralyzed. Now, when I'm just doing a voice for myself and listening to it on my recorder, there's no one there to criticize but me, you know? But as you've heard, I can be a dynamo of criticism. I can be pretty darn hard on myself and mad at myself and feel like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And then I get really scared, brave companions, because if I torture myself enough with this, I will come to the conclusion it's not worth it. And there's part of me that really wants to do this. I really want to become proficient. I really want to do it. And that part of me is scared that the other part that says, hey, you've been spending all this money and you've been spending this time and you're not proficient is going to torture me out of my chance. And I've done this before. So part of my lesson, my singing lesson, Vicky had me look in the mirror because I was putting a lot of tension in my forehead. Like if you sing the high note, you know, ah, I was wrinkling my forehead a lot and putting tension there. 
And when you're singing, just like speaking, you don't want to have tension in your voice. You want your vocal cords to not be tense. You want your shoulders not to be tense. You just want to let the air flow. And so she had me look in the mirror while I was singing. And oh my goodness, that just triggered me like I'll get out. Not because I thought I was fat in the mirror, but you know, when I'm singing, I have to picture myself kind of like Belle in Beauty and the Beast. You know, there I am singing, having fun. And to see my face and to see the shapes of the, my mouth and to see my forehead wrinkle and then have to think about that. And I said, oh, Vicki, I don't like this looking in the mirror. And she says, oh, you don't judge yourself. You can't judge yourself about it. Just use it for information. But then I judge myself for judging myself. Because then I'm like, oh, no, not only am I wrinkled, but now I'm judging myself because I'm not liking that my face is wrinkling when it's not supposed to. And it gets got into a big old knot of I can't win. I'm judging the fact that I'm not supposed to be judging myself. Oh my God, world within world within world within world. How much more criticism can I take? What can I do? But breathe, get used to looking in the mirror. It did help to stop wrinkling my forehead so much, but it was hard. And all of these thoughts I think were swirling around mixed in with my long-term volcano of rage from back home and feeling fatter than I wanna be, having that run in with the calorie counting not work out for me. And that made me feel a lot of grief because if calorie counting would have worked out for me, then I would have had some hope that I had an external plan that I could lean on to help me get thinner so I could fit into the chairs. And all of this, just feeling your feelings and being who you are is not right now the fast track to being any thinner. And having all these self-confidence issues and having all these feelings of failure hit me, you know, it just got to be too much. So I am giving up having to know the exact answer because I don't think any one of these things was the exact answer of why did I binge like I've never binged before that day. I think they all are part of the answer. But the bigger thing was I just didn't want to feel anything more. I just didn't. And zoning out on TV wasn't enough because this particular binge also involved me drinking some ready-made margaritas that I have. And usually this doesn't phase me. I don't want to drink anything unless I feel like having this flavor of drink. But I drank some of these margaritas as well as eating some of the foods I shouldn't. And the next thing you know, I'm just like going crazy. Now I didn't drink like crazy, but I drank enough that it made my judgment absolutely fly out the window. And I literally went into the robot alien food coma where I can't tell you, I literally cannot tell you the list of what I ate or what I felt or anything because I totally put myself into that zone where all I was aware of at that time was more food coming in, more and more, stuff it down, just stuff it down, just stuff it down, just stuff it down until I literally couldn't move and woke up from it kind of going, what the hell? How am I ever going to explain this to the brave companions? What a fraud am I that I talk about feeling your feelings and that I haven't binged? Because now not only am I having trouble voice acting, not only am I wrinkling my face when I'm singing, but now I'm not even someone that the brave companions should emulate in any way because I've proven that I'm a great big fraud. That's those kind of thoughts. Well, don't get worried, Barry Companions, because I'm not a fraud. I'm exactly who I said I was, someone who has lived with compulsive eating and binge eating disorder for 50 years and who's trying to work her way through it and who promised to tell you the truth, good or bad, so that you can learn whatever you might learn from my experience, even as I try to learn what I might learn. And today I'm going to try to be, continue to be nice to myself physically and emotionally and to just let these things kind of calm down and not put pressure on myself and just to do the best I can. Because whether I become a voice actor or not is not the end of the world. The point really is, am I having fun with that process or am I not? And will I be able to come up with ways 
where I can continue to have fun and continue to try. And I hope so, I really do. But if I don't, it won't be the end of the world. So I'm going to try not to put so much pressure on myself. All right, brave companions. If you've been skipping ahead, here comes the music. So you'll know that we're moving on from what I need to let go of today. And in the depth of the robot alien invasion, let's turn our attention to the positives. Welcome to new BC Paula, who posted to me on Compulsive Overeating Diaries page on Facebook saying she enjoys the show, but what the heck are BCs? Laughing out loud. It's been so long BCs since that name stuck that I had forgotten that new listeners in the early episodes would not know what we were posting about. So, for those of you that were new, BC is short for Brave Companion. BCs are how we refer to all of us, the Brave Companions. I decided on that name on episode 19. So to recap, anyone who even thinks of considering or addressing their own food issues is brave. And we are all companions on this journey. So Paula, we are all Brave Companions who listen or participate in the show. That's also why the voicemail phone is called the Bravery Hotline and why we have the Bravery Report for all of the things we do, big and small, that take a moment of bravery that deserves to be celebrated. Sometimes you will hear me say, so-and-so is on the Bravery Report today for XYZ. That's just me highlighting an act of bravery. For the record, everyone who comments or participates deserves to be on the Bravery Report, and I am not the only judge of that. You can and should put yourself on the Bravery Report figuratively and literally. I made a page on CompulsiveOvereadingDiary.com for just that reason. The Bravery Report exists so you can document and celebrate your own bravery moments. Did you reach out to others instead of for the chips? Did you say hello to someone when you felt like skulking away? Did you, like me, binge and then decide to treat yourself kindly instead of berating yourself? Chances to be brave come all day and all night. When you grab one, why not call the Bravery Hotline and share it with us? Or do like our next BC, Phoebe, and post your bravery on CompulsiveOvereatingDiary.com's page for us to celebrate with you. New BC Phoebe had written to me privately, and I told her that she was very brave and might like to say hello on the Bravery Report. And here's what Phoebe writes. Hi all, I am posting in the Bravery Report at Lori's suggestion. I'm mostly posting because I'm trying to be brave enough to come out of the shadows. I've gone through some heavy and traumatic stuff the last few years, and it's really hard to eat well in the face of the stress. But I keep trying to find a way to help. This community looks like a lovely place to wander with on the way. And Donnie stepped right in to welcome her. Yay, Donnie, way to go, gal. Donnie says, Welcome, Phoebe, and yay for bravery. And we love, love, love new friends. I'm glad you are searching to find your way. That's what we do, baby steps, one minute at a time. All we got is right now, so that's all we can do. Sending you an e-hug and welcoming you, friend. Then I said, hooray, Phoebe, you proved your bravery by reaching out. What a red letter, fantastic day for you. As you can see by the fabulous Donnie's welcome, the Brave Companions are so happy to meet and support you, and we love to get new perspectives on what we go through too. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I couldn't be happier to see you on the Bravery Report. Brava! And BC Pat chimed in. Welcome, Phoebe. You are right. This is a wonderful place to be involved with, everyone on their path to health. I too sit in the shadows most weeks. However, I post here and there when I feel brave. I do relate to Lori and all the brave companions as when I'm in the mind fuddle stuck, someone will post details of their situation and I can usually relate. Helps me to sort out what life throws at me and now I am proud and brave to say that since I followed Compulsive Overeating Diary, I am more proactive in my thinking, my actions with others, huge being a people pleaser. I am bold now in meeting my own needs and asking for what I need. Hey, I'm a brave companion and Phoebe pulled me out of the shadow. Have a great day, BCs, Pat. And then Phoebe replied to us all, proving that it does make a huge difference when we comment and support each other. Thank you all for the warm welcome. I look forward to posting more soon after your generous encouragement. By the way, 
If you want to celebrate your own moments of bravery, besides sharing it via the Bravery Hotline, besides posting your comment for us to see on the Bravery Report page, you can download a PDF certificate from that same page or from the Who Are the Brave Companions page. And you can fill that out, print it, hang it on your mirror, put it on your fridge, keep it in your wallet. Just remind yourself of the brave heart that beats within your chest. And before I leave the topic of bravery, if you are a Twitter user, I have my main Twitter account at AdventureLori. And there you will see updates of the blog, etc. And any other announcements. But I also have a dedicated bravery account. Follow me there at The Bravery Coach and you will get a bravery tweet every single day. You can also find all of my bravery tweets by searching for hashtag bravery. It's my morning meditation to remind myself that I am brave, come what may. Again, my bravery Twitter account is The Bravery Coach. If you follow me, I'd love it if you would tweet me about your bravery. I need all of the bravery I can get these days. On last show, day 105, Stephanie from Quebec asked us, what do we think about vanity as a motivation for weight loss? I asked for audio responses as I think it is more fun for you and less work for moi to hear your thoughts in your own words. Brave Cheryl stepped up to share with us her thoughts on vanity. Hey, Lori, it's Cheryl. I don't know if you've done your new show yet, but I just had a comment about the whole vanity thing that you were talking about in episode 105. Um, I really think, and a psychologist would probably disagree with me, that when a person is uh, vain as far as their looks are concerned and they're so caught up with how they dress, how their nails are done, yada, 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 that that whole part of being vain is really other-oriented because they're looking for something that they can get from others by being that way. But if a person is paying attention to their health and taking time for themselves to do the things that they need to to stay healthy mentally and physically, I don't think that is the same kind of vanity. I think that's um, taking care of yourself, and I don't see that as being vain at all. I see that as being necessary, and I think we live in a world that would take that healthy respect for our bodies and turn it into um, the outward focus of what people see so that we can be successful and all of that kind of stuff. Anyway, that's just what I've been thinking about since I listened to the podcast, so I thought I'd stick my two cents worth in. Hope you're having a great day. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. You know, I think Cheryl did a great job expressing the tricky balance of vanity in weight loss. I don't think all attention to one's appearance is vanity, nor did Cheryl say that. But for me, the other focus is key. If you want to look good to please your significant other, to fit in with your peers or feel better about yourself within society's expectation, then that motivation can lead into a slippery place when you tend to have food issues. Most of the time, health is a good solid motivator. But even then, if our obsession becomes to 100% eat only what we consider to be quote, good food, unquote, for our health, that can also lead down the slippery slope. Oh, well, Lori, damned if we do, damned if we don't. Seems that way, doesn't it? So, co-perfectionists, I would say that proof is in the pudding. If you are overall comfortable with your food choices, you don't isolate or drop social events just due to food. If you can truthfully say you like being in your own skin most of the time, even if in your heart of hearts you wish you could drop a few pounds, then I think you're on the right track to finding a path that works for you. My main takeaway is that we are here to live our lives, not to have perfect bodies. Our bodies are just one component, and truthfully, for most of us, it's not that high in the priority list, as long as we are healthy. Think about it. List in your head the top five people or things that you love in life, in no particular order. I'll give you a minute. Ready? One, two, three, go. Now think. Who's important? What's important? Five things. What do you think? Okay, here's mine. My hubby, my family, my cats, my BCs, and telling stories. See what I mean? 
I bet unless you're a professional athlete or a model or dancer, a perfect body was not on that list. But even if it isn't, that doesn't mean you can't be motivated to take care of your physical self as well as your emotional and spiritual self, you know? But the hows and whys of it are so different for everyone. There is no one answer. But having discussions like this really help us all try on priorities and thoughts and come to know our own hearts just a bit better. So BCs, this topic isn't closed. I'd love to hear your thoughts about motivation. What are your top five loves in life? What concerns you? Call the Bravery Hotline or send me audio and I'll put you on the show and on the Bravery Report just like Cheryl. Thanks again, Cheryl Kiddo. I really appreciated that you took the time to give me a call. Well, I'm thrilled to bits to present now our first doubleheader foolish fun. <laughs> Lori presents Foolish Fun. <laughs> the feature where messing up is just part of the act. <laughs> Hi, Foolish Funners. I want to know today, why did the Scarecrow get a raise? <laughs> he was outstanding in his field. Woohoo! Yay, Scarecrow. Hey, Lori, it's Cheryl. I just wondered if you knew how many fairies it takes to change a light bulb. No? Well, change it into what? <laughs> Bye. <laughs> And if you love to be foolish, too, call the Bravery Hotline and get your silly on. Thanks, Donnie and Cheryl. I like both those jokes. And BCs, I really wish you would call the Bravery Hotline or send me audio of your jokes and foolishness because foolish fun really does cheer me up. <laughs> I guess that's self-serving. So what? I'm self-serving today. It, I think it's just a fun thing. I really like it. So I hope you like it too. To wrap up this binge-filled day of figuring ourselves out, I want to read you part of a blog post I wrote just one day before the big whopping robot alien blowout. By the way, if you want to get notification of my written blog posts as well as the episodes when they come out, come to CompulsiveOverreadingDiary.com and fill in your name and email where it says, quote, subscribe to post via email. I will be writing more and more of my ponderings versus recording them because between singing practice and voice acting practice, I won't have as many days to safely record. I can't overstrain my voice by overuse. It needs days off. Dang it, my pondering doesn't need days off, so the blog will have to fill in for some shows. This particular blog post is titled, What Am I So Afraid Of? The post begins with a horrible photo of me. What was I thinking? Hair uncombed in my PJs, looking terrified at my script on the music stand. The caption, dang, I become almost paralyzed by fright, even in my PJs, in my own home, when I think of doing character voice. And then the first subtitle, why aren't you talking about it? Normally, when I wrestle with twisty emotions, off I go up the mountain to record a show. But as I reported in yesterday's status, overzealous voice practice strained my vocal cords a bit the day before. And so I don't think going out in allergy season and projecting on the mountain would help me get ready to practice today. And voice issues aside, I do want to reverse my side's script for character animation class. But there is one big problem. I have become almost phobic about it. The weird thing is that David, my coach and teacher, has this one exercise we do in class where we come up to a music stand full of turned over scripts for different characters and bits, some animation, some commercial. We go one right after the other, and we have no time to think. We just turn over the next script and go. When I do these exercises, I'm fearless, usually intuitive, and often get a decent voice of some sort out of my gullet. Give me a script to work on, though, and I can't utter a squeak from it without feeling faint and forgetting to breathe. What's up with that? First guess is perfectionism. But why? 
I know full well I am working on a bit for class. I will get feedback, and David is a kind and gentle director. My fellow voice actors are likewise supportive and rooting for me and each other. I feel terribly frustrated. Looking for answers, I searched on the net on performance anxiety, a.k.a. stage fright, and found this really great article about conquering stage fright from the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. This article was really helpful. I especially like tip number one. Shift the focus from yourself and your fear to your true purpose, contributing something of value to your audience. If I try making hearing my lines fun for you, it is easier than trying to, quote, do them right, unquote. Nervous feelings of failure bleeding through a take tend to make for unfunny animation reads, unless the character is feeling that too. Too bad I don't have one of those to work on. I would be a natural. There has to be more to the story. In therapy, I have learned when my emotional response is dialed much higher than the circumstances call for, I am reacting to past events or emotions that have bottled up versus the actual event in question. We can all agree that practicing character voices by myself in my own home is not a usual cause for fear. What is the worst that can happen? If I can't risk at home, how can I risk in class or in an actual audition? Part of my answer is in my acting past and in my expectation of myself. Next subtitle, B-Level Acting Student. My youthful acting adventures mirror much of how my life has gone when I attempt to do something new. For perfectionism's sake, let's define someone who is very good, does great, and progresses to the top of the class, gets the job, gets the promotion, whatever the goal may be, as an A-Level fill-in-the-blank. For this story, we'll say, A-Level Acting Student. Here's my progression. I have an interest in acting. Two. I go to acting class. Three, I have a natural charisma and ability. Four, I impress the teacher with my early potential. Five, I dig in to learn to do the work, craft of acting. Six, turns out my potential was overrated. Seven, I slip down the rankings of students. Eight, I don't get as much attention from the teacher as before. Nine, I work harder. Ten, the harder I work, the further down the slope I go. I'm not the worst, but nowhere near the top. I'm B-level. I see I'm not going to make it to A-level. I give up. I internalize that I am a failure. This is the story of my three years as a serious acting student. In beginning class, the teacher was excited to work with me. I had tons of potential. The best student directors were happy to work with me. At the beginning level, I was top drawer. Then when we all moved on to the next expectation, I was still pretty good, but others via craft were overtaking my natural ability. I couldn't seem to get a handle on the craft as well as they could. I panicked. The harder I tried, the worse I became at acting. I'm still a pretty good learner and still had some natural ability, so I never flunked out. I just kept getting the parts and lesser or less parts that don't give as much experience to move forward. Here is also where the director wanted to hear me sing, convinced that an undiscovered great voice would emerge. Instead, the verdict was that I could not sing, hence another disappointing black mark against all the prior potential. My parts became less and less. I excelled in directing, however, and coaching others. They excelled with my advice. For me, I overthought my instincts, and when the time came to move on to audition for prestigious drama schools, both my teacher and I knew I wouldn't cut it. Time to go into education instead. Repeat this same progression with anything I wanted for myself, from getting speaking gigs, from getting a promotion in corporate America, or almost any scenario from my life, even my first podcast. And then I make a list of specific to that podcast. In a way, my natural inclination and ability to learn and assimilate quickly and almost without thinking has been a stumbling block for me because I don't know how I learn. And for most tasks in school and life, I can intuitively do just enough to get by and even have some level of success. But for most goals one can aspire to, one must actually do the work. And it is at that point I often crash and burn. It's not that I'm lazy, far from it, but I have a really hard time integrating things I learn from outside of myself into my intuitive learning and behaving style. Hmm, that sounds a little bit like why I thrive on intuitive eating and hate all diet plans of any type. But back to my topic. Then I ponder on being literal until I get to the last subtitle, Fear Revealed. What is fear after all? It is an instinct to protect us from danger. 
What is my fear of actually doing the work protecting me from? As you can see from my progression list, that doing the work is where I perceive the turning point from potential to failure to happen for me. I think I can't possibly succeed in the realm of doing work as expected. Wow, I really think I cannot. What BS I'm telling myself. I can too do work, I can learn, I'm as capable of success as the next person. Somehow I need to harness my intuitive senses to my path for learning externally. I need to embrace the tip number 10 that comes from that same article. Give up trying to be perfect and know it is okay to make mistakes. Be natural, be yourself. If I do my best to make my character reading fun for the audience and communicate what the script is telling you about the character's physical and emotional state, if I give myself permission to be whatever level of actor I am at the moment, if I could actually feel okay where I am instead of waiting for A plus to feel okay, then I can move forward. This is just like the work I've done to feel okay as a person at the weight I am instead of waiting to be thin. Wow, BCs, this is all of it related. I just need to learn how to get over the bump of normal progress versus stellar achievement. Stellar achievement is needed to overcompensate when you don't really feel great about yourself. I need to treat acting as I do my body. Lori, your acting is fine as it is today because your ability is as it is today. Your ability will blossom as it will. This is not a race, it's an experience. You love to tell stories. You love to use your voice. Why not tell the story of how you became happy by risking BNB plus? Tell why grades don't matter, why pounds don't matter, why podcast statistics don't really matter. All that matters is the connections you make with the world and with yourself. All that matters is that you have fun right now. Take a risk, be funny, have some fun. Okay, BCs, time to go practice. And that's the end of that blog post. Brave words I wrote, no? but understanding isn't always enough to solve it. While I'm working this through, I want to share some words of comfort from a few of the many BCs who posted on that particular blog post. The first from Cassie. Lori, I need to tell you that no matter how self-critical you are, I know where you're coming from. The paralysis is real. Your working through your struggles in front of my very ears has been the best, most illuminating, self-hate, exonerating thing that has ever happened to me. I know I don't know you, but you feel like kindred. I can't thank you enough for sharing all of your struggles with us. My menopausal dried up eyes never fail to produce tears when you strike a familiar chord in my heart. Let's not even get to the dried uppiness of the stage of life. You have given me grist for the mill of my psyche. Bless you and your bravery. Love, Cassie. And I replied, <laughs> this made me laugh so hard, and it did. I totally am living this statement. It's amazing how much our bodies change as we age. But if we look at it as just another effing adventure, we can live through it. Thanks for posting this and helping me out yesterday. I was in a funk for sure, and your support helped so much. Paralysis is the perfect word. I get so mad at myself for not being able to move or breathe or relax. But now I know that all I can do to fix matters is breathe. And if all I do is breathe, I can't get a word out. I'm ahead of the game. XOXOXO. From Amy from Wisconsin. I also love these posts where you are thinking out loud. It helps me with my own thought processes when I can see yours. I do believe perfectionism has a whole lot to do with what you are going through. One more thing to think about. Could being your own worst critic have a play in this? Perhaps your fear, even though you are alone at home, comes because you will be hard on yourself, even if no one else is. That is true for me anyway. Hugs to you. I hope the practicing is coming along well. Well, Amy, I did practice, but I'm still struggling. I swallow my breath and my voice and have a mighty fear. So much lately, I don't know if it is viable to continue. And Stephanie from Quebec reveals that she can relate to my weird progression. Well, Lori, get out of my head. This post is like a revelation to me. I feel so appealed by everything you are describing as to working to achieve versus intuitively learning. I remember how I struggled in my physics class in high school because I had to do that thing called studying with which I have had very little experience with. It is still my main way of working, as it is in teaching or in arts. Very interesting. Thank you, Stephanie XX. Well, you know, all we can do, BCs, is feel our feelings and try to do the best that we can 
binge or no binge, fear or no fear, paralysis or no paralysis. You know, if we really want something, if it resonates with us, if it's mostly fun overall to try, then we have to work our way through it. So hopefully sitting here on the podcast rock and getting this exercise to help me with the physical aspects of my binge will have helped me. In fact, I know it's helped me because I'm sitting here with a smile on my face and I don't feel the rumblings of the volcano of rage. I feel pretty happy though my voice is giving out so I need to stop talking, I need to like rest it and maybe later on this evening I can practice my voice class lesson (laughs) and see if I can't come up with one funny line in one funny voice just for the fun of it. So until then BCs, have fun, take care, because I really, 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 really care. I'm a slave without a master, heading for disaster, kicking up the dust in the middle of the road. I've been waiting on a free ride, ticket to a seaside thicket on the edge of Puget Sound. Stop.